beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created and made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I love the way that John's gospel opens up You know, the Gospels, they're just biographies of Jesus' life and ministry. There's four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're named after their authors. And each of them kind of start telling that story of Jesus in a little bit different way. Matthew, for instance, he starts with a genealogy, tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. And in showing and proving that the the one that God promised and the promises he made to Abraham would be fulfilled in Jesus. And they are fulfilled in Jesus. And then Luke, or, or let's go to Mark actually, let's go in order. Mark starts not with any genealogy, but he skips all of the uh, preliminaries and he just gets right to the action. He picks up the story with the coming of John the Baptist There was a part of John, he mentioned him, and I I, I skipped over that as I read. But John came to to prepare the way for the light. And that's how Mark starts his account. And then Luke, Luke, uh, he begins by telling us kind of his methodology of how he goes about writing his gospel. He relied on eyewitnesses for everything. And, And then he relied on their accounts to tell the story of Jesus. And then he goes into all kinds of historical detail, kind of linking it to a true reality in history. But John, John goes way back. John goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word, he's speaking of Jesus, was with God. And the word was God. It it, it harkens back really to the creation account in Genesis chapter one where we read, uh, maybe you can complete the sentence, in the beginning, what's the next word? God. In the beginning, God. And then uh, Genesis goes on and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, uh, John tells us, all things were made through him. 
because Jesus himself was God. He was there at the beginning. And without him was not made anything that was made. Back to Genesis, we read in verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, John tells us in him was life and the life was the light of men. Uh, in Genesis, we read that uh, God said then over the darkness, he said, let there be light. <laughs> and there was light. Uh, John tells us the light, speaking of Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, our light and hope for the future. Holy Spirit, would you um, shine light into our own lives even today as uh, uh, Jesus shines light over everything. Help us understand your word. Help me as I teach it to teach it well. And for all of us, just to learn from it and grow to be more like Christ. Give us hope today, I pray, as we just remember uh, this season, the light, even in the midst of darkness, has come, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And then God said, let there be light. You know, I, do, I really do love uh, that opening of John's gospel, and that's what we're gonna be doing this year. Uh, uh, this Advent season is looking at the opening 14 verses of John's gospel as we remember and celebrate Jesus' first coming. When the God of the universe put on flesh, humbled himself to be born as a tiny little baby, and came to rescue all of us. He was sent to love us and invite us to follow him in our lives. You know, um, that was really God's plan, and I think that's why John starts in the beginning, because that was God's plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning, it was God's plan to send Jesus. You might think, you know, oh, well, maybe God just did that in reaction, you know, to Adam and Eve messing everything up in their sin. No, I think John's telling us, actually, this was the plan from the very beginning, from before the beginning. God knew, and he loved us so much that he sent his, his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would have true and eternal life. Friends, that's the gospel, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time that the true light, the bright light has come. So let's just, let's look at this passage again, now that we can see it, or now that everybody can see it. Look with me, John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, John writes. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, I told you, John is referring to Jesus as the word. But why does he call him the word? Does that seem like a strange title? Well, think about it. God, from the very beginning, how did he create everything? With his word. He just spoke everything, the psalmist says, into existence. 
And how does God tell us that, uh, how does he speak to Adam and Eve? Well, by his word. And how does he promise in Genesis 3.15 after they mess it up that he's going to send a savior to fix what they messed up and what we mess up with a word. And all throughout the Bible, there's prophets who speak what? The word of God. And all of that prophecy, where is it pointing to? To Jesus. It's all ultimately moving the story forward to to this moment when Jesus comes. When God's word, his promise, everything that he's said comes to fruition in Jesus Christ, putting on flesh and becoming human. And that word will be even more fulfilled, fully fulfilled. Right now you might say it's filled and uh, one day it's going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes again and completes everything that's promised. That's why he's the word. Now, uh, also in John's day as he writes this, that, that word uh, behind this word in the Greek, which originally was written in, is the word logos. And logos means word, but it was also this idea of, of knowledge, of like just a wisdom and uh, true enlightenment and all that sort of stuff in Greek philosophy. And so uh, John's probably playing off those words a little bit too, just saying, hey, Jesus is the truth. He is the truth and the way and the life. But he's also the fulfillment of all of God's plans from the very beginning. And uh, look at this in verse two. He was in the beginning with God. He was with God and he was God. He was there in the very beginning. Jesus was there. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, as I grew in my faith and grew to know more about who Jesus was, when it clicked for me that at creation, Jesus was there, I just kind of went, whoa. Because I'd never really comprehended that until that moment. And sometime in high school, I think, for me. Because up until that point, I just I knew Jesus was had come, and you know He was born of Mary, and God sent Him. But I never just p- totally wrapped my mind around the fact that He is God, and that He was there in the beginning. That that He was there in Genesis chapter one. In fact, um, that's why I love John. He takes us all the way back before there was anything, and when there was nothing, Jesus is. Not just was, but is. He's eternally existing. Does that that hurt your head a little bit? To think of God as being eternal? I mean, all of us have this beginning, right? So it it does. It just, it kind of hurts to think that way. Because I can't get my mind around it. And you know, I'm really glad I can't because then that would make God a lot smaller than my little mind. (laughs) That'd be a bummer. But he was there. You know, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is in Colossians chapter one. And in Colossians one, Paul writes to the church there and he writes some things that really relate to our passage this morning in John. He says this about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So like if you wanna know what God looks like, where do you look? Yeah, you look at Jesus. We're just full of like Sunday school answers today. If I ask a question, chances are the answer is Jesus. That's where you look. You just look to Jesus. 
you're wondering, what's God's character like? Well, look at Jesus. What, what's God's attitude like? Look at Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now that firstborn, sometimes this can throw us for a loop because we hear that and, and then of all creation, we think, hold on, Josh, you just said that Jesus was eternal, that he was there at creation. What do you mean he's the firstborn of creation? Isn't that saying he's created? And some people have misunderstood this. And I know like Jehovah's Witnesses would say, see, Jesus is a created being. But that's not what that language means as Paul's writing it. By saying he's the firstborn of creation, and I'll show you why here in a second, it's speaking of his rank or his authority of everything in creation. He is first over and in authority over all creation. He's before all created things. That's what it means saying he's the firstborn. He has all the authority, all the ownership, all the rights. He's God. We'll come back to this passage in a minute. But uh, let me show you even what Jesus himself says. On his prayer, uh, the night before, uh, the night he was betrayed, he said, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory, look, that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus himself, in his prayer, is saying, yeah, I've been around forever. (laughs) In fact, uh, to uh, uh, some of his adversaries, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now that's a reference to God's personal name, right? Of Yahweh, I am. But it's also a a statement of his eternality and of his being God, which by the way, that's why they ended up killing Jesus. He wouldn't quit saying, I'm God. (laughs) Because he is. Well, um, back to our passage this morning in John chapter one, uh, John writes this, he says, all things were made through him. Not only was he there in the beginning, he was active in the beginning. He wasn't just sitting it out, watching, seeing what's happening. No, everything was made through him. In fact, without him, not anything, uh, was not anything made that was made. Now that's not probably the way I would write it. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. But what he's saying is there's there's nothing that exists that Jesus didn't create. He's the creator of everything. Think about that. The creator of everything. He's God and he's creator. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus was there. The word was there. And uh, in the beginning, he's the creator of everything. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I wonder, have you ever thought about Jesus as creator before? That he's the one who is the agent of creation. Uh, Let's go back to Colossians again. Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We read that. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. He's the firstborn. He's over it. 
He's before it all because he's the one who created it all. (laughs) He's surely not saying he's created if he's saying everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. You think about that, like you look at an atom, a proton, and all these positive and negative charges, and they're all compact into this tiny little molecule. And the most destructive force we can make in humanity is an atomic bomb that releases that hold on all of those things and splits the atom, and everything just goes boom. Do you ever wonder, like, why isn't every single atom right on the cusp of just a huge nuclear explosion? Well, because in him, the creator, all things hold together. Even in atoms where there's charges that would repel one another, he holds them all together. He's God, and he was there in the beginning. You know, um, Einstein believed that we had scanned with our largest telescopes during his life only about a billionth of theoretical space. He was a smart guy, I'll take his word for it. Well, now we know from the James Webb Telescope that there is incredible, incredible volume of things in space. In fact, in just uh, their scan over the last year, they're working, I can't remember if it was 2% or 4% of uh, a scan of the heavens, basically, and it's taking them well over a year to catalog all of this. They measure you know, infrared light, and, and then they can uh, look at that and see wavelengths and how far away things are. In this tiny little picture that they have of the whole universe, they've counted over 25,000 galaxies. Most galaxies have anywhere from 50 to 100 billion stars inside of them. Einstein in his day estimated that there were uh, probably somewhere around 10 octillion stars. Not necessarily been refuted either. 10 octillion. Do you know how big that is? Let me help you. A thousand thousands is a million. A thousand millions is a billion. We're just getting started. A thousand billions is a trillion. A thousand trillions is a quadrillion. A thousand quadrillions is a quintillion. We're about halfway there. A thousand quintillions is a sextillion. A thousand sextillions is a septillion. And a thousand septillions is an octillion. Is that helpful? (laughs) And Jesus spoke it all into existence. With the word of his mouth, he created the heavens. For reference, that would be 10 octillion would be a 10 with uh, 20 zeros behind it. 
And he just said, let there be light. And there was light. That's incredible. And by the way, I mentioned the James Webb Telescope. If you want a good rabbit trail to go down on YouTube later, um, go search that and look where they've discovered here in just the last uh, probably nine months that in measuring those wavelengths of light, it's thrown their whole idea, many astronomers and scientists, of how everything began kind of out the window. Because the the theory of of what we would call the Big Bang was that everything just existed in this really tight little ball forever, and then all of a sudden one day something happened and kablooey, right? And it all blew up. And everything went flying in different directions, and that's how we all got here. The problem is, as they look out at some of these stars that they're observing and some of the galaxies that they see out in the outskirts of what they can see so far, they're realizing that the age of those galaxies is not compatible with the idea of a Big Bang and everything going kablooey. What it's compatible with and what it points to is that there was a time when there was nothing. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's pretty incredible if you look into it. You know, and, and as you think about that, of how big God is, it, it reminds me of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've ever read any of those. But I think it's, uh, I might have my numbers off. Some of you are um, maybe more into this than me. I think it's the third book in Prince Caspian. Uh, Lucy comes back to see Aslan and, and she sees Aslan and uh, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan, by the way, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this for Aslan to be uh, a metaphor and a, a type of Christ to, to represent Jesus. And Aslan said, that's because you're older, little one. And she said, so it's not because you're bigger? And he said, I'm not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. And for us, the more we grow, the more we study, the more we look at his word, the more we look at creation, the more God just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet at Christmas, what do we celebrate? The fact that the God of the universe, as we sang, condescended, put on flesh, the one who spoke everything into existence came in the form of a tiny little embryo in a virgin's womb. What humility and what grace. And it was God's plan from the beginning because he was on a rescue mission. He was. He he was coming to rescue us God's plan from the beginning was to send Jesus, to send the light. And you would think if God's going to come into the world, how would he come? If you were God, I don't know if I was God. I, sometimes I've probably said this before. I think of it like, you know, making a little Lego land. I love Legos and I like to build Lego with my son, Charlie. And if you could create your little world and then step into it, like in the Lego movie, 
how would you arrive into your creation? It'd be pretty grand and glorious, wouldn't it? And you'd rule and reign over all of it. But Jesus, his first coming, he humbles himself and comes incredibly vulnerable. But in him, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. This was God's plan from the very beginning. So let's unpack this verse a little bit. First off, Jesus is life. He comes to give life because he is life. John 1.14, a little bit later in the passage, the word became flesh, Jesus did. Notice, Jesus wasn't created. Now you could say his humanity was created, right? Because he, he added humanity to his deity, but he himself is not created. He's eternal. And he came and he dwelt among us. Uh, one other random thing, like in the Old Testament, there's a thing called the tabernacle where God's presence comes and lives among his people as they wander in the wilderness. Well, that's the same word as dwelt. You could say that Jesus tabernacled among us, but instead of living in a tent, he lived in the tent of a human body. He put on flesh. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He's the life. Uh, Jesus himself said that I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If, if you really want life, and life that's full and abundant that we all long for, Jesus is like, you're looking for me. I'm the life. I'm the life. For as the Father has life in himself, John 5, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself, Jesus said. He, in other words, life originates with him. He gives life. He creates life. And in coming to us, in condescending in that way, he brings true spiritual life to anyone who believe. You know, uh, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus had died. They're weeping and, and sad, obviously. And it's like, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus says, hey, I'm the way, or excuse me, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There's life. You might die physically, but you'll live spiritually and eternally. I'll, I'll raise you to new life if you believe in me. And John in his first letter talks about Jesus bringing and giving life. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It's like if you want to know what true life is, if you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. He is God and he is life. And he's also light. John said here, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You ever tried to walk in darkness? There's a few of you I noticed, you know, came in when the lights were all dark. It's a little hard to find a spot. Are you hoping you didn't stub your toe? (laughs) Maybe tonight you'll wake up in the middle of the night and walk around, and what's one of the things you'll do? You might reach for a flashlight or your phone or something so you can see. Because when you walk in the darkness, you're bound to stumble. And it's hard to find your way around. And Jesus says, well, I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk through this life in darkness. But you'll have the light of life, of real life. John 1, 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And again, later in John 1, no one's ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but he, Jesus, has made him known. 1 John 1, this is the message that we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him, in Jesus, is no darkness at all. He is light and life. The the psalmist says, uh, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. So why, did, why was it God's plan from the beginning to send Jesus the light into the world? Well, we've already kind of hit it. It's really this, to overcome our darkness. To overcome our darkness. Um, you know, if you want to know a way to not make friends on the internet, just get online and, and start saying or give a big speech somewhere that, hey, people are inherently sinful and evil. And you'll find all kinds of people that say, what are you talking about? That's wrong. There's goodness in us. Well, there's remnants of goodness, but it's been corrupted by our darkness and our sin. We've broken God's good design. And Jesus has come, it was God's plan from the beginning to to send the light and have it shine in the darkness to overcome our darkness because darkness can't overcome the light. Do you got a flashlight? Maybe you don't anymore, maybe you just use your phone. But chances are you got a flashlight somewhere and uh, this is a pretty bright one, try not to blind anybody. But um, you you can shine a lot of light with this little thing. When do you use a flashlight usually? Uh, dark. In the darkness, yeah. When things are dark and you can't see. And so you take your flashlight and you shine at places I can even see things now that I couldn't see before. But it's most effective where? In the darkness. And so why does Jesus come as light? To overcome our darkness, our sin. I mean, this little flashlight with a couple of AAA batteries in it can't overcome the darkest, or can't be overcome by the darkest darkness. It shines into the darkness and brings light and hope and life. And and that's what Jesus does in, in our darkness and in our brokenness, because friends, we all are in darkness. That's how we begin life, in brokenness. 
And, and we add to that brokenness ourselves, don't we? In fact, Jesus says this later in John, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, speaking of himself, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, um, when God originally created everything, his design was good. It, It was perfect, in fact. He creates Adam and Eve, and they have perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with him. He puts them in a beautiful place and tells them it's all yours. And you can eat from every tree. You, you can care for all of it. All of it's yours to have. The Garden of Eden. But that garden isn't you know, like the garden in your backyard. It, it's, it's a huge mass of land like a national park like Yellowstone. And God says, this is all yours. Enjoy it. But God wanted them to truly love him. So he gave him a choice. And he put one tree in the middle and he said, you can have all of it, but you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this tree. Because if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. And so Satan tempts them and uh, Adam and Eve both, and they both, what do they do? They, they're deceived and they eat from that tree that they're not to eat from. The only one out of probably thousands. And in an instant, they knew they had messed up. They stepped outside of God's design. And stepping outside of his design, the Bible calls that sin. And we've all sinned. We all fall short. We, we all uh, run from God's design and it resulted in their brokenness. Think about it. For the very first time, Adam and Eve in the garden experienced shame. They never knew shame before. For the first time, they felt guilt. They had never felt guilty before. For the first time, they felt inadequate and like they were lacking. They had never felt that before. And so what did they do? Well, they tried to find a way back to God's design. And they made fig leaves for themselves and they pursued all different avenues just like we do. (laughs) We do the same things. And in trying and knowing that that it's not supposed to be like this, we try to get back to God's design and so we chase all of these different things thinking maybe that'll be the way back to fill that void that's there now. Maybe that addiction, maybe that career, maybe that person, maybe fill in the blank. But all it does is just compound our brokenness. That's where John 1 comes in. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, shines in the brokenness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. 
And what it is is that Jesus came, put on flesh, the creator of the universe. Again, shrinks himself, becomes a tiny little embryo, puts on uh, humanity, adds it to his deity, and grows up and never sins, but lives like we were originally created to live. If you want to know what fullness of life looks like, look at Jesus. If you, you, you want to know what true joy looks like, look at Jesus. And he lives this perfect life. And yet he dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for sin, for brokenness. In my place. And in your place. He enters into that brokenness and his perfection after we've left his good design. And the gospel says then if we would simply trust him, believe and repent... Repent means to turn, to turn from searching after all these other things on our own and turn to Christ, turn to the light. And if we would believe upon him, believe in the gospel, then what happens is we're restored. And he, he begins renewing us back in to, to God's original plan. We can recover that and we can pursue that with joy in our lives. And one day, there's many more promises of Jesus' second coming where he will come not as a little baby, but in full power, all of his glory on display. And he's going to fix everything we've messed up. And because he's the light. And he overcomes our darkness. And we can have that light simply by trusting him. See, Jesus is our rescue. And our, our response, our only response, isn't to try to clean ourselves up, but just to turn to him and say, hey, shine that light on me because I'm a broken mess. Save me. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because Jesus said, see, I've, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me would not remain in their darkness, but would be restored. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That, that God's plan from the beginning was to send Jesus as light to overcome our darkness and so in the coming weeks, we're going to keep looking at John chapter 1, and we're going to see how Jesus does just that, and how he rescues us and gives us life and gives us light. Amen? Let's pray.